Hello, you've arrived at a true crime podcast you won't forget. It's called All Rise with Diane Godfrey. Diane, a court reporter for three decades for so many trials, and she wrote it all down. I'm Boston broadcaster and podcaster Jordan Rich, and it's my pleasure and honor to sit with Diane and converse about these subjects. And certainly today's topic of sex trafficking is right up there with the worst when it comes to true crime, Diane. Yes. And as our listeners are well aware, we usually talk about murders, but I thought that I would address this today. It's disturbing, but it's a necessary thing that I think the public, we all know what happens, Jordan, but this just underscores that this is real and it's close to home. Yeah, that's the thing that's going to uh, alarm people or at least wake people up. It's not always an international cabal. It's very close to home. So this involves a case that you worked Yes. And actually, the case, it almost has moss on it. It's so old. It was tried in 2014. Mm -hmm. And the prosecutors, usually when I'm on a case, for the most part, it's the district attorneys that bring the case forward for the government. But this was presented by the attorneys general's office who have statewide jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. And they came in with this case. And, you know, a funny thing, Jordan, I should note, This law came to fruition in Massachusetts in 2011. And this case that we're going to talk about, I was the court reporter. It went on for, I think, 12 days. Mm. On day 12, we had the verdict. But it was the first human trafficking case Massachusetts had tried. This should be fascinating. So you're going to do what you do. Tell us the story. All righty. Well, what happened was there were three people that were tried together. And in the business, we call them codies. Mm -hmm. People say, what's a Cody? Codefendant. Yeah. You know. I I know the lingo by now. (laughs) So it was who was tried. It was a couple, a married couple, Mm -hmm. Ramona Hernandez and her husband, Rafael Enriquez. Now, the reason I remember that they're married, both of their last names begin with an H. They have different last names Mm -hmm. because it's only three names, but they were like following me up. I don't know why. So Ramona Hernandez was 52 years old at the time when she was tried. Her husband was 40. And there was a third person in cahoots with them. And his name was Diego Suarez. He was 35 years old. And they lived in East Boston and Chelsea, which are Boston is Boston. It's a section of Boston. But next to it is a large city, Chelsea, Mass. Mm -hmm. So they operated two, shall we say, houses of ill repute. Mm -hmm. And they were – this was a pretty sophisticated thing. And just in my eyes, for the attorney general to get in on this, they did wiretap and they did surveillance. They did it in conjunction with, like, the Boston police. There was a whole litany of, um, mm-hmm. of organizations, you know, um, police-type organ. I forget exactly. I have it written down somewhere. But, they, you know, the Chelsea police, the Boston police, right. it was a, the it feds. It was a, a team effort, in yes. other words, to, to knock these guys out of commission. Now, just think about how much money that must have cost. So this must have been a big thing. And it was fairly sophisticated, as I said. So they had two places they worked out of. One was 194 Bennington Street in East Boston. That's the big street in East Boston. Exactly. So they weren't like flying under the radar. Right, right. You beat me to the punch. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. No, I don't mean it like that, but but you picked uh, up on that. We're from here. We know the area. We know the geography, as you know it so well. But go ahead. The second house of prostitution was 131 Marlborough Street in Chelsea, and I know that street. Mm -hmm. And that's 
one of the main drags as well. It's a big, well-known street right off the center. So they had this, it was analogized to a pizza delivery service because you could have your choice. You could show up at the house with an appointment. These appointments went 15 minutes, and you were asked to pay double if you went over the 15 minutes. So you could, you know, have an appointment, show up at the house. You were told to go to the back door. You'd go in, and you'd do your thing. But in addition to that, if you wanted, in the comfort of your own home, you could call up and order a woman like it was a pizza. Now, we were talking about a sex trafficking case. Now, we know about prostitution and and that kind of thing. This is different. This is a step above or beyond, correct? Yes. Although, you know what? When I Now, this case was a long time ago. You want to hear the funny thing that I remember from this whole case? This I always want to hear the funny things you remember. Two things. The mastermind of it, the chief cook and bottle washer of the whole thing was the wife, mm. Ramona. Of course, she went by, they all went by, you know, different names. Sure. Her, she called herself Marlene or Mal- Marlini or something, Marleni. But her real name was Ramona Hernandez. And the shocking thing was, woman to woman, like she allowed this to go on. So she was, in, to put it in colloquial terms, the madam of the yes. operation? Okay. Yes, all right. she was. And the funny thing is, you know what, Jordan? When this whole thing went down, when they started to investigate her, she had um, convictions for the same type of thing from years before. Five or six things on her record, prostitution-wise. I don't know if she herself had been a prostitute, but... So the question is, who are these prostitutes, and are they working against their will? Was, was that determined in the court? Yes, it was. And you know what shocked me? They These women, they, they took like a... They plucked a few of them. They couldn't have all of them, you know, to come on the stand. It wouldn't have been mm-hmm. reasonable, but they picked at least two of them, and they told this story candidly on the stand. They went and worked for them of their own volition, but they, in my opinion, these people preyed on women like them. One had left her husband. She was on the street, basically had nothing and was desperate for money. The other one lived in New York City, had a deathly ill mom and quickly needed money. They were both undocumented illegal women in the country and they Mm. had no way to make money. And this is what they thought they could do to make a quick buck. It's very often the case with the quote unquote pimp uh, in charge of the, the, the group of women, usually it's women, that they hold that kind of power over them. So it seems like a similar kind of thing. It was very much they were... They were desperate, and they needed something, and they offered something to these women. Yes, and the thing is, Jordan, to me, it's not a good deal. First of all, the women, the prostitutes, had to pay for all the condoms that was taken out of their pay. Mm. And the nickname for condoms was, <laughs> guess what they call condoms? I can't even imagine, but I can't wait Are to you hear. ready? Yeah. Chocolate. <laughs> okay, code words, whatever that might work, whatever might work for you. Now, now, were these ladies of age or below age? Well, in that some was cases? another thing. They were of age, and when I started to go through this again after mm-hmm. many years, I was thinking to myself, they were there against their will. But one woman candidly told exactly how this went down. She was in a room. It sounds to me like she was kind of there. Like I don't know if she tried to leave if they would have let her. There was a guy. Manning the house. He would open oh, the door and yeah. let the, the Johns in. Right. She was given, first of all, 
she was in New York City. Her mother was ill. She desperately needed money. She was an undocumented woman from, I want to say, Mexico. Mm-hmm. She had to take her own money to come up on a bus. Then she had to buy a taxi to get to the address she was given. And when she showed up, first she was given in New York a number. Somebody gave her a number. You want to make quick money? Call this woman in Boston, who was Ramona, the mm. mastermind of this. Mm-hmm. And Ramona gave her a address, said, come up, I can put you to work. Boy, did she. The, you know what? When she arrived in East Boston, 40 minutes after she arrived, she was working, prostituting. So there's a network of – there's a communications network. Evidently. That uh, it's like the game telephone. You pass along the messages to the next person to the next person. Yes. And uh, were, were there any of those people, the, the go-betweens, were they – as part of this case? Were they defendants or not? No. And I don't know. You know, it's funny, Jordan. I even Googled this before we came into the studio and there was a fourth person involved. I don't know if that person mm-hmm. died. It was Noel Prost. If they fled the country, I, it was never said, but there was someone else at some point involved. But it seemed like, because the other woman, the other prostitute said she was given a number by somebody and she called mm-hmm. it and it was this Ramona. Right. And she said, yes, I'll do it. Within 30 minutes, the, the husband uh, the, you know, of Ramona was at her door in his little green Toyota Corolla. She exited the home, got in his car, and he drove her. It wasn't – he was driving her. They had a lot of business in Waltham. He drove her to some address, and she went in. And the surveillance – they had a lot of people doing surveillance, and the state police said that they had to have a lot of different people because their faces would have been recognizable after a while. Wow. So this is a ring of perhaps dozens of people? Or yes. We- they were They were also um, filtering the women. The women would work for like a week, a week and a half, and then they'd get another woman and mm-hmm. another woman. But this woman that came up on the bus, she paid her own bus fare. Then she gets in the cab, gets to the East Boston address, and the husband opens the door, and she they gave her a room to stay in. She said it was filthy. She said it was squalor. It had a bed and a TV. Come to find out, it was infested with bed bugs, by the way, because at one point she wanted help for the bed. This is what I remember all these years later, is to quell the bed bugs, this mastermind who really, really was not the brightest bulb, she gave a bottle of Windex to the prostitute with some chemical in it and said, spray these and wait 30 minutes, the bed bugs will be gone. The prostitute said she was bitten from head to toe. Mm. She had sores all over. Were, were there any stories on that particular testimony from the prostitutes and those forced into it, we'll say, about Johns getting violent or issues with, uh, with men, clients? No, I didn't hear that, mm-hmm. luckily. But, mm-hmm. you know, there was, when, when they were going to sentence these people, because they were all convicted, by the way, but when they were going to sentence them, the government stood up and said how far-reaching, you don't really think of it, but how many problems are implicated when this is happening. Right. First of all, these prostitutes serviced generally 15 men a day. 15 a day? You heard me. Whoa. 15. Oh, my god. It gosh. was 30 to $40, depending on what was mm-hmm. happening. They were supposed to get half the money, and that was shaky at best. But... Um, 30 or $40, mm. they're supposed to get half the money. They had to pay for the condoms. There was something else they had to pay. 
I don't know. It wasn't a very good deal for the prostitutes at all. It never is. I mean, when you think about it. So the state took this case very seriously then, Diane. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, another thing that the Commonwealth said, not the, well, I call them, they are the Commonwealth. They were the AG. They were, as I started to say, they were making a litany of reasons why this is so bad. I mean, first of all, they prey on women that are vulnerable, but Hmm. some of these homes that the prostitute was frequenting had children in them. Oh, you mean when they... Yes. Like if you order a pizza and your mother opens... A house call. Yes, a house call. My Here's your pizza. No, it was a woman. I mean, there were children in the homes, Mm -hmm. number one. And this is a tight-knit community with a lot... It's very... You know, everyone lives on top of each other. It's in the city. There's not a lot of space. I mean, they had all these people coming and going. It's just not good. And the AG said... Part and parcel, notoriously with prostitution, is violence and guns and drugs. I was going to ask you about drugs as well. Um, Beyond the violence, the fact that almost, I don't want to say almost all prostitutes, but so many of them are mixed up in some kind of substance abuse. Yes, absolutely. But they, you know, when they said, like, when they said, like, the address, 131. Marlborough Street, Chelsea, like the woman said, it was just when they'd, they'd go into these places where they were going to work, there would be like a mattress on the floor, a urine-stained mm. mattress. I mean, just, it, it was gross. Let, let me ask you this, Diane. Were the defendants in this case who were ultimately convicted, were they here legally as well or not? And did they prove that there was a connection between here and, say, south of the border with an influx of people coming in? They did not say that there was a, a connection with people coming in, although from what I remember, Ramona may have been a citizen, the other two weren't. And mm-hmm. I know the prostitutes absolutely were not U.S. citizens. But Ramona would make the executive decisions and ran the day-to-day, day-to-day operations. What kind of evidence beyond uh, the testimony was there that the state presented, that the AG presented? Well, as I said, they went to a judge and they got a wiretap and they had all tons of calls between Ramona soliciting these women, the women saying they were coming, between the the John, so to speak, mm-hmm. like the husband of Ramona, um, making all like, – like you're ordering a pizza mm-hmm. and the surveillance at all these places. And they had over – I think 3,000 calls maybe that they... And some of those calls, were they played in court? Yes, but they had to... The Commonwealth had to incur the expense of a a Spanish interpreter, a qualified Spanish interpreter. Mm -hmm. This was all in Spanish, mind you. Mm -hmm. The whole trial was in Spanish, and we had had to have multiple um, English... Translate... How does that work in your world as a court reporter? I love it. Okay. Only because I have extra time between the Q and the A. Gotcha. Because there's that time that's oh needed God. for translation. <laughs> Although, yeah. But you know what they do? They mean well, but they'll the, the interpreter will come up. Now, the interpreter is what you're listening to because it's English. Right. The court officer will take the microphone and put it towards the witness. So you, all you can hear is Spanish coming through. And it's like, no, we need it pointed towards uh, the – well, anyway, that's a small thing. But – um. It takes twice as long because right now, if I said to you, what's your name? And you said, Jordan Rich. I said, where do you live? Oh, I live on such and so street in such and so town. Think that what I that just exchange is doubled 
Yeah. Because it's yeah. a so huh. something that takes an hour takes two hours. Now here's a question about the jury in this case. Um, were they uh, quick to come back with a verdict? You said the trial lasted, what, 12 days? Yes. And on the 10th day, it went to the jury halfway through the day. Mm-hmm. So they had the balance of the afternoon to deliberate. The whole next day, they deliberated. And then a half day. The ne- so in essence, it was two full work days, like mm-hmm. eight hours and eight hours mm-hmm. when they came back. And they, they the full boat, I think they had four counts um, against them, all of them. It was uh, trafficking in persons for sexual servitude, conspiracy to traffic persons for sexual servitude, deriving support from prostitution, and keeping a house of, I love this word, ill fame. <laughs> and was there, there, was no, there were no charges uh, for crossing state lines at this point? No. Okay. okay. I don't know if that would come later or what, but... Yeah. but and, and the jury were unanimous, obviously, with their verdict? Yes. Okay. I mean, you can hear on these um, – oh, you know what else they did? They got a judge to give them permission for 15 days. They went to this green Toyota Corolla, which was the delivery of pizza. The delivery. You know, the, yeah, sure, of the, yeah, of the people. And they put a GPS on it, and they tracked it. Boy, they had every angle figured out in terms of – nailing these horrible people. I mean, this was elaborate. And I have to tell you, it was such a well-tried case and a beautifully orchestrated investigation. It was really it was awesome. And you you said earlier that this was a, a recent law, 2011. The case is 2014. So this was... A, the first one that was tried in the state. Milestone case. Yeah. What was the uh, the verdict? Uh, the verdict was guilty, but what was the, uh, the, the punishment sentence? sentence? Well, you know, at first, you should have heard, like, the defense. One guy said, one lawyer said, the only reason they're bringing this case forward, it's the um, this a year that's an election year. And, that, you know, so-and-so is running, the AG is running for governor. Boy, that sounds desperate. Doesn't it? That's yeah. scraping the bottom of the barrel, right? But um, I'm trying to just see if I missed anything in this story. But... I don't think I have, but I can tell you, oh, they were caught. You asked me how they were caught. Wiretap evidence, physical evidence, physical surveillance, and testimony. Okay. I guess the, the only follow-up I have is what at what sentence did they receive? What did they have to do to well, atone for this horrible crime? Well, it, they didn't. the three of them got hit pretty good, and the mastermind, Ramona, she got the— Stiffest sentence. She was sentenced to six to eight years on the human trafficking, four to five for the prostitution. And then when she gets out, ultimately five years probation for running a house of ill fame. Ill fame. Now, they were a little less stringent. She got six to eight for the trafficking and her husband got five to seven for the trafficking. But he also got the same penalty that she did for the prostitution, four to five years, and five years from and after probation. Now, Diego, the 35-year-old friend that ran the second, he must have really been, he was down and out. He had no car. He had no money. He was living on assistance. And he was, I guess, filthy, dirty. Like, they'd get in the car and he smelled. And I mean, they said that the husband smelled too. Everything smelled. The Mm -hmm. house smelled musty, Urine. It was it was absolutely gross. But Diego, who was in the next town in Chelsea, and he ran that home, that ill repute 
whatever you want. House to, of ill fame. Yeah. <laughs> he got three to five years for deriving support from prostitution, three to five years for maintaining a house of prostitution, and five years probation. So I think those two, the two men will be deported. I think she can stay. Mm. But it was it's, a it's pretty interesting, bad— uh, when one thinks about that, there are debates about prostitution, whether it should be legalized or sanctioned or regulated. But I don't think anybody feels for those who take advantage of others, particularly young women or young boys, for that matter, young men, and forces them, even if they're not chained to the wall, it sort of suggested that they better stay where they are. You mentioned the goon at the front, <laughs> the big brute. Well, Think about this. You're desperate for money. You're down and out. You live in Queens, New York. You take the bus to Boston, the taxi to the address. You walk in this dank place. They give you a filthy room. And it, as they say, it just had a, like a stupid mattress and a TV. And 40, 30 or 40 minutes later, she was working. Mm, and, and 15 times a day on average. And Yeah, and the guy would come to her bedroom door and knock. Mm-hmm. And then he'd give her a chip, which indicated that he she you know, they, he already paid. He, she was instructed. His receipt, quote unquote. Yes. But the guy, man, like he manufactured everything. He went to the door. She was kind of stuck in there. She didn't go out for days. Mm. There was no food in there. Cruel. Cruel so, and unusual punishment. Yeah. So it was a bad scene. But um, the last thing, Jordan, is these two prostitutes gave a victim witness statement at the end, an impact statement. Now, you remember that. I sure do. And I'm very happy to hear that they were not uh, tried and convicted for anything, correct? They were not. And by the way, the name of this whole thing is Operation Persistent Rain. That was like the name of the investigation. Isn't that cool? Wow. Yeah. Persistent Rain. And just curious, uh, in the trial, were, were any of the customers uh, called to testify? You know, Jordan, I can't remember. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. That'd be a but little embarrassing to begin with, but uh. I totally. But I must say, the the co the, trooper Robert Sarah was from the AG's office. The illegal, I think it's called Illegal Enterprise and Major Crime Division. I think I might have one word wrong, but anyway, it's something like that. He had a partner in this whole. He was like the one that made all the decisions in this um, investigation. He was working in concert with a special agent, Ryan, out of the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, which leads me to believe there's a lot more to this story than it's far-reaching. Because today in the headlines, we see all kinds of human trafficking stories coming out of uh, the southern border. And uh, if you recall, as we record this a few months ago, uh, 52 or 53 people died in a truck that was overheated. Oh, I saw that. I mean, that's the kind of thing that's just horrific. And so we need to put these people behind bars, those who are committing these crimes. Yeah, And there was a a question like, how did— law enforcement know what these people look like. What did Ramona look like? What did her husband look like? What did Diego? They got, they pulled the photos from the RMV. (laughs) So that's how they got it. Okay. So that's kind of it. But they got on the stand and they were remorseful and they said that they had had nightmares anticipating they have to go to court and, you know, tell what happened and they That's the prostitutes, the women who were forced into it. Yes, exactly. And Jordan, it's so funny. They seized their phones. They were all flip phones. My, my, that harkens back to the good old days, eh? And I understand what some of the witnesses had to say and testify to was pretty dramatic. An excerpt from one of the women. 
they said, what was your understanding of what this room was for, like when she arrived? And her answer was to prostitute myself. And then the question went, can you describe the general condition of the apartment that first day you got there? Answer, the room was dirty and it smelled. What did it smell like? Humidity, whatever Mm. that means. Must have been musty. So, I mean, you know, that was it. Diane, this is an ongoing problem in our society, sex trafficking, human trafficking. Any thoughts on what we can do to stem the tide? Jordan, as I went back on this case, I was outraged, naturally. And after this case, we had more cases. I've been on more since, but this was the first one. And it blew my mind because some of these things were happening in broad daylight in hotels that are like a mile from where I lived at the time. So... I went online, and it wasn't too hard to Google. To get help, you can call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888. That's 888-373-7888. There's another number here to report suspicious activity the U.S. Immigration Customs Enforcement if you suspect that there's something going on in your neighborhood like this, 1-866-347-2423. So this help, it's a Google away. All right. Thank you for that, but also thank you for recalling a disturbing case that had at least a positive outcome. My pleasure. Before we close the courtroom door on this podcast, we remind you that All Rise with Diane Godfrey is available on all podcast platforms. We invite you to subscribe, download, rate, and review this podcast. You've been listening to All Rise with Diane Godfrey. True stories from inside the courthouse from the lady who wrote everything down. Case dismissed.